Usually Amazon's growth rate for their first party business really is a bellwether and an indicator for the overall market and it really aligns well. So the Department of Commerce, they don't release their Q1 e-commerce until I think next month, but you know, this is obviously a good indicator of what we should expect. Hey gang, it's Tuesday, May 11th. Cindy, Daniel and listeners, welcome to the Behind the Numbers Daily, an e-marketer podcast made possible by VTEX. I'm Marcus and today I'm joined by two folks. We have one of our directors of forecasting, Cindy Liu. Hey Marcus. Hello there, Cindy, who focuses quite a lot on retail for us. And we're also joined by our analyst on the payments and commerce team. It's Daniel Keyes. Hey Marcus. Hey chap. Today's fact, Star Trek's Scotty stormed the beach at Normandy. Canadian actor. Cindy, did you know that? I have no clue <laughs> what oh. you just said. <laughs> <laughs> Star Trek. I oh. never, I've never really watched it. I watched it a tiny bit as a kid. I'm not a Star Trek person. But some people are, apparently. Uh, yeah, the guy, Scott. You've heard of Scotty, right? No. <laughs> it's, the whole beat, it's, it's the whole beat me up Scotty thing. I'm not. Beat me up Scotty, oh, yeah. Gosh, there am... we go. That's about where my Star Trek knowledge is. <laughs> Does this make me a bad Canadian? I'm assuming he's not a national treasure then, Cindy. No, then Canadian he must not actor be. He James Doohan. Doohan? No, I pronounce his last name. Best known for playing Montgomery Scotty Scott, or Scotty on the original Star Trek series, served in World War II with the 3rd Canadian Infantry Division. As a commissioned lieutenant, he led his troops up a mine-strewn Juno Beach as part of the Allied Forces D-Day invasion. Later in the day, he was wounded by friendly fire that caused the amputation of his middle finger on his right hand. So you might have noticed, because during his time on Star Trek, directors did their best to avoid showing the injury on screen. So every shot of him, which I went back and looked at, some screenshots, every shot of him when he sat down, his right hand's kind of hanging over the chair so you can't see it. I feel like if you are if you have a show in space and everyone's got pointy ears and there's aliens, it's okay if one guy's just missing a finger. Right, yeah. I don't think anyone would notice. That's a, that's a, fair, that's a fair point. Yeah, directors, you, you, you put too much effort in is the point there, yeah. All right, today's real topic, how Amazon is able to make all that money. So we're talking about Amazon today and how they continue to make all the money in the world. Let's talk highlights from their Q1 earnings 2021. $109 billion in total net sales, $109 billion in the first three months of this year made by Amazon. That's Ukraine's GDP that they made in three months. That's the 60th highest GDP in the world, Ukraine. Amazon made their total GDP in a quarter. That $109 billion in Q1 was up 44% year on year. By segment, let's break it down. Online store sales, which account for half of Amazon's money, grew at the same pace as the top line number, 44%. The second largest segment for Amazon is their third-party seller services, which account for 22% of the total money, or $24 billion. They grew 64% last quarter, last Q1. uh, Sorry, it, it grew 30%, so double the growth in third-party seller services for this quarter. It's insane. Amazon's web services account for 12%. That's the third largest segment for the company, up 32% growth. Subscription services is their fourth largest piece, 7% share, with growth of 36% in Q1 year-on-year. That's eight points better than a year ago. And other is the next line item. It's next in line. Other is basically code for advertising. Uh, when it comes to Amazon. Fifth largest slice 
over 6% share, highest growth of any segment at 77%, up from 44% in Q1 2020. And finally, physical stores is the smallest piece of the business, accounting for less than 4% at 3.9 billion. That was down negative 15%. The only thing that was down for the whole of Amazon in Q1 year on year. So negative 15% for physical stores. I'll start with Cindy. What leapt off the page for you when it came to Amazon's Q1 earnings? I mean, I definitely was, I mean, I was expecting a really great quarter. You know, don't get me wrong. I was expecting a very strong quarter across the board. You know, Q1 had all the elements of a very strong consumer economy. You know, you had the stimulus, you still have lingering pandemic effects, but, you know, for them to accelerate their growth across nearly all their segments over their Q4 year on year growth was pretty, you know, astonishing. Yeah. Um, you know, the third party service sales that to me stood out, you know, that grew 64%. You know, that just goes to show you, you know, how much their merchants continue to value the services that Amazon provides to them. And then, you know, other things that stood out, you know, definitely the advertising business. So, you know, Amazon continues to scale outside of just, you know, their core business, which is e-commerce, but, you know, in advertising, in subscriptions and, you know, just their tentacles are just everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Picking up on those two points you just mentioned. So one, advertising services, so other AKA money made from ads, not only did it register the highest line item growth rate of over 75%, but its share of the money that Amazon makes total. So five uh, went from 5% to 6.5%. So Amazon's the money it makes from ads went from 5% a share to 6.5% for Amazon's total and uh, as, as it becomes more and more important. And then the third party seller services, I mean, if you go back to 2019, they averaged about uh, you know 20 to 30% growth each quarter in 2019. Then in Q1, uh, 2020, 30% growth. Q2, 52%, and never looked back. It was 55, then 57, and then this quarter, 64%. So it could, continues to accelerate right. somehow. Yeah, their third-party service sales. I think you know that growth is coming from two parts. That's one. I think obviously there's more and more merchants who are coming on the platform who are selling mm-hmm. on Amazon, but then also yeah. they're offering more and more services. And I think adding more like fulfillment, shipping. Like all the added services that they help uh, sellers with, like the whole shopping experience, you know, they're charging that a commission on that. Yeah. Daniel, how about for you? What jumped out? I mean, the first thing I always look at when I see Amazon's earnings are their online store net sales, you know, it's their base retail business. And it was another really strong quarter. It was, I think it was 41% growth after when you eliminate foreign exchange rates, which was only a few percentage points down from Q4. You know, before the pandemic, I used to check that stat every quarter to see, is Amazon finally slowing down? And sometimes they weren't, and sometimes they weren't. And now I'm checking to see, are they falling off of this pandemic rate? And the answer is still no. So, mm-hmm. you know, every, I'll be waiting until a quarter where they get below 40% before they get below 35 and 30% and get back into the 20s mm-hmm. and, and teens, which is where they were sitting before the pandemic started. And clearly that's not happening anytime soon. We'll see if it happens this year or not. Yeah. So that got my attention. And then one additional thing that got my attention is their international business. For a long time, it's been not profitable, which is not a problem for Amazon. Obviously, Amazon has enough money, but it's actually been profitable the last couple of quarters and their sales have gone up dramatically. Now, that's partially because they've entered new markets and partially because of the pandemic. But I'll be interested to see, you know, can they maintain this kind of international growth? Because they're obviously very good overall and very strong in the U.S., 
But if they can really solidify themselves elsewhere, they'll just become even stronger. So that's something that really jumped out at me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really important, that point about their international business. I think that their, you know, their business in the UK, in Germany, like in Europe, is really starting to take off and scale. And I think so those growth rates that you're seeing now, like maybe that will become the normal. Maybe it won't decelerate back to you know the 20% mm-hmm. because their international business is growing a lot faster now. What is interesting as well with their, you know, their online stores. So that is also the number that I always look at first too, because I think Amazon's always a good indicator of what's to come for the overall market. So usually Amazon's growth rate for their first party business is about really is a bellwether and an indicator for the overall market. And it really aligns well. So the Department of Commerce won't they don't release their Q1 e-commerce until I think next month. But, you know, this is obviously a good indicator of what we should expect. Mm hmm. Speaking of what to expect, real quick, I want to throw out two long more line items and then get back to the expectations portion. AWS made uh, $8 billion in Q1 2019. That nearly doubled two years later. So continue to make a ton of money from that, about $14, $15 billion this quarter. A net income as well in Q1 uh, more than tripled to over $8 billion. But uh, circling back to the online store sales, an article by Sammy Nichols of Adweek highlighted some new data from e-commerce analytics platform Profitero showing what people were buying on Amazon. As Profitero President Sarah Hofstetter summarizes, quote, even in 2021, athleisure is topping bestsellers lists with upgraded coffee experiences and high quality bedding rounding out that nesting mindset. She says, I do typically frown on me search, but gosh, that feels a whole lot like my personal life these days. If I'm going to be spending more time at home, I better be comfortable, close quote. So, Keeping that in mind that maybe we haven't seen the snapback to people buying the outdoor clothing or outdoor things, items that they may have done. Uh, we haven't seen that as soon as perhaps we may have thought. What do you expect from Amazon in Q2? They said that Q2 sales are expecting to reach between $110 billion and $116 billion in the quarter. What do we expect to see from Amazon, not even just next quarter, but full year? So, yeah, I mean, their guidance for in their earnings, I think that comes out to about a 24 to 30% yep. uh, growth for guidance. So that's not like any, in any case, a deceleration. You know, they're expecting momentum to continue. Q2 specifically, you know, will, you know, we will see a boost because of their announcement of uh, Prime Day. But, you know, I do think they're, you know, like circling back to about, you know, outdoor clothing and going back to normal. I think there, uh, what was one thing that was indicative too about their statement about like why they moved Prime Day from July to June is that July typically is when people are vacationing, they're out and about, you know, they're not really shopping. And I think this year more than ever, it will be very important that there's pent up demand to travel and people will be out and about. And I wonder if Prime Day this year will be the shopping event where people are purchasing their summer clothing attire and getting ready for, you know, for the summer. Mm-hmm. So I, I have a feeling that apparel will be really big and getting like getting people back to normal. Yeah, how are we expecting Amazon to position Prime Day this year? Because Cindy, as you mentioned, so it seems like it's going to be in June. We know that much, right? Yeah. We just don't know the date. Rick Broider of CNET was pointing out that Father's Day 2021 is on Sunday, June 20th. 
So there's a chance Amazon might choose the Tuesday and Wednesday after that, June 22 and 23. Or he says we might be looking at the week prior, effectively allowing the sale to coincide with last minute Father's Day shopping. Daniel, how do you expect Amazon to position Prime Day this year? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting decision because we've often you know, talked about Prime Day as the beginning of back to school shopping when it was in July. And June's probably too early for that. A lot of, you know, a lot of people are still in school in June. I'm not sure they're looking to get stuff for back to school that early. So they're going to position it differently, whether it's something like Cindy said, like a re-entering the world apparel concept. I'm not t- I think that's very possible. It's clear that this is something Amazon wants to do, though, because they said on their earnings call that they were going to do this last year before the pandemic happened. That was partially to avoid vacations, partially to avoid the Olympics, which are also still scheduled to happen in July this year now. So this is something that they want to do. This is something that they feel like they have a strategy for. And I think that, you know, a summer sale apparel concept makes a lot of sense. But I think it, this will really test out, you know, is Prime Day, you know, a chameleon that kind of becomes a huge shopping event no matter what time it's put in because they have deals. So, you know, it was back to school because it was July, but if you move it to June, does it become summer? Or does it actually kind of need that back to school hook to work? I think it'll be really interesting to see which one it is. Yeah, I agree with Dan. I think, so I was looking at, because I'm currently working on the forecast for uh, back to school and also Prime Day. Mm. And I was taking a look over the past years, like the effect of Prime Day in July on back to school sales. And honestly, people, it's really concentrated in August. I feel like people aren't really into that back to school mindset really until August. You know, you Mm want to enjoy your summer. So I don't think that there will be too much of a pull forward effect from Prime Day in June with, you know, back to school specific categories. I do think it's more of a, you know, let's start the summer off, you know, let's get things back to normal. Maybe those types of sales events. Right. Because there is spec, I mean... There was some commentary saying that they, they put it into June to, so they can get a bump on those numbers because it makes the books look a bit better. Last Q2, top line, they made $89 billion up 40%. So I don't really understand that argument too much. But there is speculation that there'll be a second Prime Day as well. Do, do we think that could happen this year? I don't think it will be called Prime Day, the second one. But I think it's very likely that you know in the October time slot where they had Prime Day last year, there's some mm-hmm. kind of big Amazon blowout sale. Because last year... In July, they had the big Amazon summer sale that wasn't Prime Day, but it was basically you know another Amazon deal situation. Yep. So I think in October, they'll do something similar as like an early holiday shopping concept. I don't know that they'll put the Prime Day branding on it, but I think that they'll definitely make a push for another sales event in the early holiday season. Okay. Yeah, we estimate that US Amazon Prime Day sales grew 43% last year to over $6 billion. Amazon had made $1 billion from Prime Day in 2016, so from one to six in the last four years. If you add non-US sales, that $6 billion it made in 2020 turns into $10 billion. So very, very important day indeed. Going back to the guidance, as you mentioned, Cindy, if Amazon does hit their guidance, they'll be between the 24 and 30% growth for the quarter. Um, it would also mark the third consecutive quarter with over $100 billion in revenue which is hard, kind of hard to comprehend. What we do know is coming this year, AWS CEO Andy Jassy set to take over Amazon CEO in Q3 after Jeff Bezos said in February he would be stepping down from the role to become executive chairman. So that's something to, to look out for. Insider intelligence analyst Daniel Carnahan recently outlined what we expect to see from Amazon in 2021. He says, US Amazon retail e-commerce sales expected to grow 15% this year to $367 billion accounting for 40.4% of total retail e-commerce sales. That 15% growth will be driven by food and beverage, up 25%, and apparel and accessories, up 21%. Cindy, actually quickly, on that number, that 40.4% for Amazon, how does that fit in with what other folks are doing? 
Oh, like uh, competitors or yeah, other Walmart, retailers? exactly. So yeah, I took a look recently. So Walmart hasn't reported their first quarter yet, but Shopify has, eBay, um, Etsy, I think last week. They've all reported recently. And, you know, that's quite it's very similar, to be honest. Like Etsy accelerated their GMV growth. Shopify did the same thing. Both accelerated in Q1 over their Q4. In fact, you know, for those two players specifically, their GMV, you know, actually is over 100% growth. So, you know, Mm. double the growth rate of Amazon, but obviously coming from a much smaller base. Right. And so, you know, and if you compare it to eBay, which, you know, is a more mature platform, marketplace platform that's been around for a while, they also saw an acceleration to 29% growth in Q1. Okay. You know, which is a very positive sign for, for that company. Right. So Amazon, 40.4% share of total retail uh, e-commerce sales. In the US, uh, the second point um, Daniel Carnahan was was making was uh, we expect to see the number of US Prime members grow 4% to 149 million this year or 57% of the population. And also looking at Amazon's US ad revenues, expecting them to cross the $20 billion mark this year for the first time growing 30%. Last year, Amazon's share of the total US digital ad market surpassed uh, 10%. So yeah, we're going to do uh, another episode, I think in a couple of weeks, uh, looking specifically at Amazon's ad business uh, and zooming in a bit on that. So stay tuned there. Final question, folks, I want to talk to you about a new feature Amazon just recently announced. They're testing a new feature for sellers called Manage Your Customer Engagement that will let them let sellers contact customers directly by email to tell them about new product announcements, things like that. This is a bit of a pivot from the previous policy. Sellers won't be able to spam customers with promotional emails. They can only contact Amazon users who have chosen to follow a particular company with Amazon, not the sellers sending the email. So Amazon will send the emails. Heim Gartenberg of The Verge was noting Amazon will tell brands how many customers have chosen to get the emails, along with performance metrics for the campaign, but not the names, the information, or email addresses of individual customers. It's a free service for sellers, but only available to brands registered through Amazon's brand registry program, which includes folks like Garmin, GoPro, etc. Daniel, your thoughts on this program? I love seeing Amazon respond a little bit to a different company and admitting they're not totally immortal and they have to consider the competition. This is very much so a response to, to Shopify. Mm. You know, Shopify gives these merchants more control of their, of their offerings. They can reach out to people who shop with them. And Amazon's not getting cut out by Shopify. But if a merchant is a Shopify merchant, they're selling on Amazon, but also probably selling on Walmart and their own website, et cetera, et cetera. And Amazon would rather them just sell on Amazon. And they're hoping by giving merchants this kind of messaging where they can better reach their customer because previously they couldn't at all through Amazon, maybe that'll happen more. So I think it's a good move on Amazon's part to give, hand over a little bit of its control, give its merchants a little bit more control of their own business. They can operate and run some more marketing campaigns via just Amazon's ecosystem. And it will probably pay dividends for Amazon. But ultimately, you know, it's not the same thing as Shopify. Shopify gives you a little bit, way more control and way more marketing capabilities. So I don't think this will really stop interest in Shopify. But I think it's a smart move on Amazon's part. And that will wrap up the first half of the show. Time now for the Halftime Report, where we summarize the key takeaways from a lead story in 30 seconds before in other news, our second half of the show. We'll start with Cindy and then go straight to Daniel. Cindy, your takeaways, key takeaways from the first half. We should continue to expect strong growth for Amazon for the rest of the year. It'll be really interesting to see what they can uh, pull out in Q2. Amazon's just kept, kind of keeps on trucking with, with the pandemic surge. It's not really slowing down anytime soon. 
But the most interesting part of these earnings might be the international business kind of reaching a new level that hopefully for Amazon hopes it will maybe maintain in the years after the pandemic too. I think we need to have an episode soon about what is Amazon's ceiling? Answer, there isn't one. There isn't one. (laughs) Moving on. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Uh, That's all we've got time for for the lead story. Time now for another news. But first, quick word from our sponsor, Vtex. Retail's next competitive threat may come from a business model or channel that didn't even exist a few months ago. This modern dynamic requires companies to adapt quickly, pivoting business seemingly overnight, something traditional commerce platforms just can't support. There's a new enterprise commerce platform on the rise, one that's fast, flexible, and doesn't require nine months and a million dollars to get up and running. Go to vtexvtex.com slash emarketer to learn more. All right, folks, we are back today in other news. Is Amazon losing the brick and mortar battle? How many shoppers never plan to go back to stores? And a Canadian buy local effort to fight Amazon. Story one, Shira Overday of the New York Times writes, quote, stores still matter. Where's Amazon? With people eager to return to grocery stores, Amazon seems to be missing the opportunity, close quote. Her point here is that sales at Amazon stores, mostly from Whole Foods, which it bought in 2017 for $14 billion, fell 15%, as we mentioned earlier uh, in Q1 year on year. Sales have now been falling for a year. Miss Overday asked two questions. One, is Amazon losing in groceries? And two, why has one of the world's most ambitious and inventive companies mostly been a follower rather than a leader in one of the biggest spending categories for Americans? Daniel, what do you think? I think we all need to reframe what Amazon's trying to do in grocery. I think when Amazon bought Whole Foods, we all, and maybe even Amazon thought they were going to become the country of the world's biggest physical grocer. That's not happening for a number of reasons. Whole Foods isn't capable of that. Not a big enough network, too high prices, et cetera. But you know, in retail, general retail, E-commerce is you know less than 20% of all U.S. retail. And we don't talk about how Amazon's not reaching enough because it dominates that percentage of e-commerce. And I think it's doing this, it's trying to do the same thing in grocery. You know, if you can get 15% of grocery online, which is not yet, we're not close to that. It's behind overall e-commerce. If it as that grows, if Amazon can get a huge share of that e-commerce percentage, then it's going to be very, very happy. It's not going to be a Walmart or a Kroger level physical grocer. But if it could be in their tier or even above them in online grocery, I think it'll be thrilled. And I think that's really what it's trying to do these days. Mm -hmm. Cindy? Yeah, I mean, so I think the article also dives into sort of like we kind of have to dissect what this physical store also means because essentially it encompasses Whole Foods, right? So this 15% decline in their physical store sales includes Whole Foods. However, it excludes all the online part of that. (laughs) So, you know, you're buying... Whole Foods goods through the Amazon platform, those sales are included on the e-commerce part. So, you know, all the click and collect sales, the picking up in store, all that is not included in a physical store. So I think the article also goes on to say that, you know, a spokesperson from Amazon mentioned that, you know, if you added up all the online grocery plus the physical stores, the sales are actually growing. The downside of that was that the Amazon hasn't come out and given a magnitude of that. So in that in and of itself is was kind of an indicator that maybe those growth rates or that number isn't mm-hmm. very, you know, 
exceptional, if you will. So, you know, otherwise they would be coming out and touting those numbers. But the thing is, you know, Amazon, like Dan said, that Amazon's never going to be the Walmart or Kroger of groceries. But if they can just continue to get incremental benefits from this shift from offline to online in food and beverage, you know, it's still going to help their growth rates overall. Yeah. Yeah. If you just look at the line items, it doesn't look great because yeah, physical store sales, their share of physical store sales has fallen from over 8% to under 4% in the last three years. A lot of that is because the other line items are just doing so well. But if you look at revenue as well from physical stores, that's fallen 8% uh, from Q1 2018 to Q1 2021. They're still making close to $4 billion from Whole Foods and yeah, Click and Collect as well, not included. And also uh, a lot of investment still to come. We've seen Amazon open uh, the new chain, Amazon Fresh, in addition to having Whole Foods as well. So we'll see what that could do they have innovated with with in-store tech i'm wondering whether that might work against them in the coming i don't know months i should say because if i saw an amazon fresh store i might not know what kind of tech i'm going to face when i go in will i do i need to have the app do i need to have scanned something ahead of time so i, I wonder whether that could put people off because with other stores you just walk in and you know how it works i wonder if with the amazon go stores the amazon fresh stores whole foods maybe you can pay with your palm i wonder if it might be a little bit overwhelming for the average consumer we'll see story two some 15 percent of european shoppers plan to do most or all of their shopping online going forward notes an article in european supermarket magazine that 15% comes from a UPS 2021 report that surveyed 10,000 folks across eight European countries. Cindy, I'll start with you. Do you think there's going to be a new cohort of in-store cord cutters, if you will, who cut the store cord and they're out? So you know what we think of kind of survey data sometimes. Mm. You know, I think people always overinflate what they intend to do if it makes them look, you know, a little bit more digitally savvy or whatnot. But, you know, I do see a little bit of truth in this and that there could be, yes, there could be a new buyer or a new type of consumer behavior where people are going to the store, but not necessarily maybe buying, but going in store to do research and then buying online. I mean, I think that concept has, is not new. You know, the showrooming concept where people, you know, go to the store, do their research and then end up actually buying online that's not new and i think that i think has some truth to it daniel yeah i think that there will be some consumers who who shop more online than they did before and maybe even dramatically so but i don't think it's going to be anywhere close to 15 percent of consumers not going to stores almost at all i think some people prefer to avoid stores and maybe go randomly you know half half as much or or just you know just avoiding it more often but no one's i don't think it's gonna be a very select few who fully avoid stores so i don't i don't think it'll be too much of a cohort yeah. Yeah. Because if you ask a lot of folks, they would say, oh, yeah, I do all my shopping online now. But as you know, we've mentioned, uh, I think earlier in this episode, I think, Dan, you mentioned 85% of all shopping, basically 80 to 85% of all shopping still happening in stores. So yeah, maybe no time soon, at least. Story three, a Canadian buy local effort fights Amazon on its own turf, writes Geneva Abdul of the New York Times. She notes that a website called Not Amazon was created by the friend of a local business owner to drive sales to over 4,000 independent stores in Toronto, Calgary, Halifax, and Vancouver. The list started as a Google spreadsheet featuring 160 local businesses and has evolved into a website that has garnered over half a million page views. 
This initiative matters, not least because, as Ms. Abdul of The Times points out, uh, small and medium-sized businesses contribute to over half of Canada's GDP. But since the pandemic lockdowns, 40% of small businesses have reported layoffs, while 20% have deferred rent payments, according to government data. Daniel, what are your thoughts on this article? I think it's really interesting. You know, I, I think that you know Amazon has a big target on its back. It's a huge company. Not a, some people aren't fans of it. I think it's very cool to support small businesses. I don't think that this kind of thing will crop up enough where it's a problem for Amazon. You know, people have boycott, tried to boycott Amazon before, and I'm not going to make a value judgment on whether they should or they shouldn't. But ultimately, people still shop on Amazon a lot, as we've covered in this episode. And you know, Walmart's has had tons of issues over the years, and Walmart's still doing very well. So I think that it's a really interesting thing. I think it's really good to support local businesses like that. But I don't think it will ultimately matter to Amazon's bottom line. Cindy? Yeah, I mean, I think Amazon right now is in this paradox where, you know, they need to be cautious about how they will continue to grow without alienating their small and medium business partners, you know, who actually they depend on in order to drive their, mm-hmm. you know, sales, their third party services to get people to join Prime, you know, they need to partner with these businesses. So it's really important for them to not alienate them. I think this article was more like this movement, if you will, is indicative of just the harsh realities of what this pandemic brought and the disparities it brought to small businesses, you know, who've suffered really hard from the pandemic, but then also the, on the flip side, you know, big retailers who actually came out not only unscathed from the pandemic, but doing a lot better. Yeah, one example of a company that was uh, on the not Amazon site, uh, Twin Sisters had opened uh, the Green Jar in Toronto last December, offers refills of bulk items like soap and honey. Who needs honey in bulk? Anyway, uh, customers can buy to refill in their own containers, reducing single-use plastics and household waste. Green Jar offers both pickup and delivery. Since being on the not Amazon site, Green Jar has since seen online orders rise 500%. That's all we've got time for. Thank you so much to my guests. Thank you to Cindy. Thank you. Thank you, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Thank you to Victoria, who edits the show. And thank you to everyone listening. Nicole Perrin, we'll see you tomorrow for the Behind the Numbers ad platform, the marketer podcast made possible by VTEX. Uh, she'll be speaking with Grace Briscoe at Centro. 